0: The Celtics are 17 and 4 with near unprecedented vibes, but we're 20-ish games into the season, so it's time to sit down, zoom out, and use this chunky sample size to draw some firm conclusions about how good this team really is. Spoiler alert, they're pretty damn good. All of that next on first of the, the
1: floor. First
0: we've seen a superstar, White, hey, hey, welcome into to another episode of First to the Floor, Ben Vallis here, thank you for joining us, hope you're doing well. We've got a stacked show for you today. We'll get to the Celtics routing of the Charlotte Hornets, we're going to discuss what about this team is real and what might not last now that we're 25% of the way through the season. Also, Last year's Al Horford trade and where it ranks among modern-day Celtics trades. And we've also got the Schadenfreude report. We're running clips here on YouTube, and we'll look at the upcoming schedule as well. Plenty to get to, joining me for all of that and more, Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, how you doing, sir?
2: It's a great day to be a Celtics fan. It's a great day to be an American at <laughs> your World Cup, guys. Yeah, the Americans went through on a thrilling one nothing win over Iran. And, yeah, it's just been a damn pleasure to watch this team play basketball. I'm, I'm, like, giddy when I'm watching these games. It's just the best, man. I'm excited to dig into it with you guys. Absolutely. What a run we're on. And of course, with us, Jake Eisenberg.
0: Will we see Hot Take Jake come out and play as we review the season so far? Jake, how's it going, man?
3: (laughs) Oh, man, I got a couple cooking for you today, fellas. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) I'm not feeling good. It should be a good day to be an Australian tomorrow if Australia can pull off either a draw or a win against Denmark. So hopefully we're joining you in the the round of 16. We shall see.
0: 2am, Jake. you getting up for that one? Oh, man. It's on the cards. That's a big (laughs) one.
3: Mid midweek, two AM <laughs> <Yeah>. prizes. <laughs> Rough.
0: Only the most dedicated fans. Yeah. Well, look the the Celtics. They absolutely decimated the Charlotte Hornets. One forty to one hundred and five. Tatum had thirty five with just one free throw attempt. Marcus Smart was awarded the community sister award prior to the game, then proceeded to dish out a career high fifteen <laughs> assists himself. And then this happened. He gets one from White. Now he gives it to White. Draws to- oh,
1: that's bad. Blake that's- Griffin
0: it happened it wasn't it wasn't, happened quite, then, it wasn't the day. windmill dunk it <laughs> wasn't the windmill dunk that i predicted but we're going to call it right it was close enough <laughs> oh, this yeah, was definitely. The, the, the dunk that i've been calling for since uh blake signed with the celtics but spooney seriously like what was the key to this game it almost feels cruel to all people associated with the charlotte hornets <laughs> to talk about this game in depth how did the celtics put such a beat down on the hornets
2: Is this the most aesthetically pleasing basketball you've ever watched? Like the only team I can think is when the Warriors pre KD first hit the scene and it was like, whoa, this is like a different way to play basketball. We've not seen before this Celtics team is like kind of doing it's like that, but then it's not a small guard shooting from 35 feet. It's two like six, seven, six, nine guys just like slashing to the rim, starting the offense and. they are so incredibly unselfish to the point where it's becoming unguardable and the Hornets are an awful, awful defensive team. So it was, you know, I, I was a little worried about a trap game, but when you saw them open up that first quarter and hang 45 on them, it, it was like a laugher at the, it looked like we were playing a G League team. That is how outclass the Celtics made the undermanned Charlotte Hornets look. And it's just the ball movement, it's the penetration, and it's Missoula just playing five shooters at basically all times. And I don't know what you do. How do you stop this?
3: He was just sitting back and being like, is this real? Yeah, I'm not sure if this is actually happening. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they're they're unstoppable. Like the the Hornets were obviously missing some guys. This was definitely a game that I was like slightly like – Let's just not play with our food. Let's get some rest, get in, win by 30, get out. Because, like, this time last year, this would have been a game that we would have all been, like, tearing our hairs out, like, down the stretch, being like, what are we doing? Um, I feel like they kind of did play with their food in a way, but they're just so freaking good (laughs) that that kind of looks like a beatdown of one of the worst teams in the league. Like, we were missing three players as well. Um, That's just how deep and insanely good this team is that, um, even without. A borderline All-NBA player in Jalen Brown, one of the best players in the league in Robert Williams and Al Horford as well. Not on the team. We still scored 100 points like halfway through the third quarter. Just absolutely upset.
0: Yeah. 40 assists in this game. The biggest <laughs> lead was 42. Our bench outscored the Hornets 51 to 28. At one point, Malcolm Brogdon himself had outscored the entire Charlotte bench. At one point, he had 21, while at the same time, their bench had... 20, obviously scored a little bit more as the game went on. But just so indicative of how, I guess, the depth of this team and how top to bottom everyone is capable, including Blake Griffin, of having uh, an insanely impactful night. Uh, what else, Booney? I mean, like I said, it, it does feel cruel to to break down this game because it was such <laughs> a routing. But uh, what other takeaways have you got walking away you know, from this No, I'm
2: run? more than happy to break this. Thing. You know, I can <laughs> talk about this <laughs> these last two games for hours. Um, Indulge us. I, I think so. I... <laughs> I think one of the bad things about having the heliocentric Lucas style offense is that people are like, Lucas role players stink. Well, they also get to touch the ball once every four possessions. And one of the great things about how the Celtics are playing basketball is the role players feel engaged. They feel like they have some ownership of the offense and they're empowered to do stuff. So that's when you get guys like Luke Cornett looking like a positive plus NBA player doing all the right things on both ends, knowing that if he's open, if he sets a hard screen, he's going to get rewarded. Um, and then the vibes are out of control because Blake Griffin steps in. hits every I think he made a three to open the game up. And yeah, like yeah. <laughs> that dude was diving all over the floor. He got like elbowed in the face. And then they called a foul on him. The next possession, he takes a charge right into his face. And this is a 30-point game at that point. So this team is just so committed to winning by any means necessary. And every guy has bought into the exact role that Missoula has asked of them. And I think Missoula has done a great job integrating the Cornets, the Housers, Pritchard into the game plan and letting them... Be the best versions of themselves and that's when you get 40 point blowouts on back-to-back nights basically which is like unheard of this should have been a schedule loss
3: this is the the starring in your role thing is just absolutely what's happening here joe has everybody bought in i think it's just as much about and brogdon will, will get into his comments but just as much about tatum jalen and marcus's leadership um People coming to the team and really understanding like where these guys have been for their whole career. They've been at the top of the NBA for pretty much their whole career. Um, they're setting the tone. Everybody's like willing. I think the Blake Griffin role, the fact that he's turned himself into this gritty dive on the floor taking charge guy. Um, and then if he's not playing, he's he's on the bench, he's he's you know, he's telling Pritchard to make sure you're ready. Like every single person on the team is fully bought into their role, whether it's like vibes. Or corner threes, defending one through four like Hauser. Like, I'm not sure if Hauser would be defending at this level if it wasn't for the buy-in from from the roster from top to bottom. So, the cultural um, just uh, significance of the, the, these guys um, and their impact on the role players uh, – you can just see on everybody's faces, like Jalen's in the on the bench. That was one of my favorite Jalen times. He's got the beanie. He's just looking cozy, um, laughing. Looking with cool, J- man. Uh, Tatum's <laughs> trainer on the bench. Uh, it's good times.
0: Yeah, the vibes are immaculate. We've got some vibes clips that we're going to run uh, for the YouTube watchers a little bit later. But yeah, one of the unfortunate characteristics of you know Celtics teams in the Jays era has been this notion of like playing down to your opponent. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned both of you like guys diving on the floor with a 30 point lead. For what? Like for what reason other than just to exude the culture that clearly permeates this team is really good to see. You mentioned Cornette, Spoonie. I don't want to drag you down with me here, Spoon, so you can you can opt to jump in with me here if you like. I owe that man an apology. because no, I'm with you. To, I, man, but, I was okay. seriously going to say, yeah. I think we might owe
2: Luke Horton an apology. I though. didn't want to
0: implicate you, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, we, no. we were talking some smack prior <laughs> we to the season about how we didn't see it. And, and like, not only is he not just displaying that he could easily be the third big on the team, he's, he's displaying second big capabilities, I suppose. And with okay. Rob coming back, that's not you know, a road that we're going to have to go down, which may be for the best, but I don't want to sp- speak any more ill of, uh, of Luke Cornett. Uh He's just been fantastic. Um, the impact in this game alone, I think he was 100% from the floor, had some incredible celebrations, finished uh, an alley-oop <laughs> off a not, like, super easy dime from Marcus Smart. So <laughs> the nickname Cool Hand Luke is something that I'd like to begin oh. to institute here. Uh, yeah, really just uh, immaculate. Anything else, um, Jake? Can you, I mean... We should probably mention Marcus Smart. We talked about his 15 uh, assists, a career high. Can you talk about his impact in this game and, and just how he's been really recently? The last five games, in fact, 52% from three uh, and nine assists per game in those five games. So his shot is starting to come along as well. Uh, with Rob not yet back in the roster, we don't really have anyone that we're trotting out there who's not a three-point threat, which is insane. Um, but yeah, Marcus Smart, Jake. What are your what are your thoughts on the vibes Smart's bringing?
3: Yeah, even Marcus's three-point shot, is turned into an elite forty percent shooter all of a sudden, um, because early in the season he was like one of the only guys not not shooting super well. But now, Marcus Smart, even yesterday, man, he he hit like two or three in a row, and I'm like, this is just not fair at all. Um, how many? He had like eight assists in the first quarter or something like that. Yeah, he's, he did. <laughs> he, he I think again going back to the buying of the role, I think he he's loving loving this role. Um, and he's clearly really good at it. He's he's still able to attack offensively and get buckets to put pressure on the defense in the post. I'm working on a little Marcus Smart in the post video, um, as you can see if you're watching on the YouTube right now. Scal's um, going to love he's that. He's dishing from the post. He's he's bullying smaller guards in the post. Um, this left hand thing that we're about to see, oh, like going back to game two of the, the Brooklyn Nets series, um, the magic left hand is has become a part of Marcus's game. Um and he talked about it in his post-game after the Wizards, the Wizards game about how he's just loving getting guys going in their spots. If he sees a guy that's struggling, I'm going to work to get them a better shot. Um, he personifies the point guard, floor general, true playmaker label that everybody was criticizing the Celtics for not having and criticizing Smart for not being. And that's what he's become. He's a table setter. Like he he's become a true point guard while giving you elite defense on the other end. It's like. Insane.
2: I love how Joe has been using him too, because it's not like he's saying, "Marcus, you're gonna run twenty pick and rolls from the top of the key, and you better be able to make a play." Yeah, like you said, he's putting him in the post. He's having b- him be the screen setter and playmaker out of the short roll. He's getting, r- he's running off screens. He's setting pin downs and then posting out of that and playmaking out of that. Like Joe's just. He- smart's best offensive skill is that he's incredibly versatile you know he's the swiss army knife he's not amazing at any one thing but he can do everything so depending on the matchup depending on how he's being guarded we're putting him in positions to play make and and score in a bunch of different ways and this is the best stretch of his career i think and he's been incredible defensively too after a slow defensive start, um, and he's not turning it over like ever too, which is like the best part in
3: my opinion. Yeah, like last season was the best year of Smart's career, yeah. and he's building on that. Yep. Um, I think once they took off last season, that's one of the things that I really hopped on. It's like now Tatum is kind of the the number one guy. No Kemba, same, and that impacts Smart as well. No Kemba, no Kyrie. These guys. It was kind of the first full season in like these roles and to come and now they're building on it again. Um so they're going from career year to career year. I mean, it just gets better and better. It really is just a good time. I think you can tell yeah, if you watch if you're watching on YouTube so or
0: even if you're listening on the Celtics blog <laughs> feed, like the sound in our voices, the apparent glow in all of our faces. Like, we're we're enjoying ourselves. And we just potted through the whole, you know, recent finals run as well. So uh, the vibes are high, um, top to bottom. The team, the media, whatever we are, (laughs) the vibes are good. Uh, A post game quote from Joe Missoula on Marcus Smart he said, He's always brought it defensively. Uh, I have full trust in him diagnosing where the matchup is, where the advantage is, and what we can do to exploit that. And he's doing a great job anticipating that once he gets the ball. So, the way I I take that from, from Joe is like he, Marcus Smart is this extension of Joe's like approach to the game and he's the embodiment of how Joe Mazzula wants the game to be played. And Smart is going out there and like executing one hundred percent according to Joe's needs and wants, uh, which is really great to see. And and just the fact that Smart is being used in all of these new ways. You touched on it, Spoonie, that you know, he's he's the screener. Very often, he's setting all of these back picks, all of his off-ball movement to go with his incredible playmaking and his incredible defense. I think you can say the same for every member of the Celtics roster. That everybody is being used to the full extent of their talents. And you know, we we see it with Derek White. We see it with Tatum setting more screens and doing more than just jacking threes and and going ISO. Everybody is being used in this sort of very fundamentally sound way that is just makes it, I think Z Gamer called out in the chat before, like look out Spurs, beautiful game basketball. It's very similar to that. And it's really, really um, good to see. I'll ask one more time, guys, anything else to get to on the Hornets game before we move on? We've got a lot to get to here.
3: No, but you did remind me, me and Spirit did a podcast. Like it was before the Rob injury, before the Gallo injury, and we were doing over-unders and I was like, This is a revenge season. They're going to win 62. So you talked about the Spurs, beautiful game, revenge. I'm going to go back and find that now. Um, And that's going to be my thing that I uh, stand on because I feel proud. I
2: don't remember how many – I don't remember exactly the number of wins it was, but you said that they're going to win X number of games. I think it's going to be like the Spurs. And we were like, how many games did they win that yeah. season? And we looked it up and Jake had hit that exact, exact number. Yeah. So it was dead on. Yeah. That might've been low for the way this team is flying. Yeah. <laughs> they might win seven. <laughs> no, I mean, not really, but this is incredible, man. <laughs> And no, I yeah. got nothing else. This is just so fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, just one thing quickly shout out to Fiondo Cavangelli, who got his first Celtic minutes uh, pretty chaotic out there. Like, yes. he didn't look incredibly mm. locked in. I, I, I suppose, you know, just sung the virtues of how Joe's got everyone playing. Obviously, that isn't quite reaching uh, the extremes of the very, very bottom two way player uh, end of the bench, but still cool to see him out there. He definitely brought the energy. Um, any, any Kevin Gelly takes from the, the very small sample size that we saw?
3: Um, I feel like maybe Brad knows more than we do again. When we were sitting here being like, where's Kevin Gelly? And he's like, well, he's, he's like not good enough to play yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He'll,
2: yeah. He'll figure it out or he won't, you know, we've got him on the two way. I think Justin Jackson is not an NBA player. So Mm -hmm. I, Mm. I would, would not be shocked if Mr. Jackson does not make it past the trade deadline. I thought, uh, Cabs looked better than him, at least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
3: He did.
0: So one thing very quickly before we get to our what's real, what's fake aspects of the team at the 20 game mark or the 21 game mark or wherever we're at. Joe and I did a podcast prior to the beginning of the season, and we talked about Jason Tatum and how he compares to his peers in that top echelon range. So like Luca, um, Giannis, Steph Curry. And the sort of conclusion that we had coming out of that conversation is Tatum doesn't have One world bending, to use Joe's term, skill or attribute that puts him really at an equal level with guys like Giannis and and Steph. And yet here he is at the top. I think he's currently ranked two in the Kia MVP ladder at this point in the season. He's clearly part of that conversation. He's absolutely at the table with those guys. So my question to you guys, Spoonie, we'll start with you, is what is Tatum's one, if not more, world bending skill that like has him deservedly sitting at that table with those guys. Okay, I've got two
2: answers here. I think (laughs) he's shooting terrible on them, but his pull-up three is the weapon that he bases his entire offensive game off of. And while he's not making them right now, he has made them in the high 30% in incredibly different, difficult attempts where defenses are trying to take that shot away from him his entire career. Um, so I think he is defended like an elite pull-up three-point shooter. It's because he is. He's had a little slump to start this year, but every year he ends the season in high thirties on pull-up attempts, and they're always by like b-ball index, he's always graded out as having the most difficult three-point attempts in the entire league. So if he's mm-hmm. making high thirties on those type of attempts, that is an elite world-bending skill. And if you look at his dribble moves, most of them are him faking to get into the three-point pull-up. The guy jumps out at him, and then that's how he's able to go by people because he does not have a super fast first step. So I I, I would disagree with you and Joe, and I think I wrote in the comments of that YouTube oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that I disagree <laughs> because I think his pull-up three-point shot is world-bending. He's not Curry, but he's going to go down as maybe the best one of the best shooting forwards of all time. So and then second. There's something to be said about not having a single weakness on the basketball floor.
3: Come on, Spirit. All right, man. go ahead, Jake. I'll just shut up. <laughs> yeah. Great segue. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I, I actually kind of do lean with there isn't one otherworldly I think when you're talking about Steph, Giannis, like they are gonna end, you know, top ten all time, top fifteen all time. Maybe there, you know, and maybe Tatum does get kind of into that rarefied air if he just like keeps getting better and better. But you know, Steph Curry, significantly by far the best shooter of all time. Giannis has a you know ability to put pressure on the rim, um, you know, and be like Shaq. Um, I'm not sure Tatum has anything quite like that. The pull up three when it's working though, you're right, Spoonie, is like just as unstoppable as anything else because no one can no one can block him even from a standstill. but when he's you know doing the side steps and and twirling around and hitting them in Hassan Whiteside's eye, um, that is unstoppable. But yeah, the the lack of weaknesses, you know, when you compare him to Curry's defense, it's not comparable. It's all defense-level defense. You can't hunt him. Same with Luca, who has otherworldly playmaking. Giannis can't shoot free throws um, and can't shoot in general, whereas Tatum is an elite shooter for um, for any player, um, and especially any player at his size. Um Maybe something that is getting closer to otherworldly is the rim attempts and the rim finishing and the free throw drawing, mm-hmm. which I know we're going to get to a little bit in what's real and what's not real. But oh, yeah. um, he's finishing better than the, than Giannis at the rim this year and the attempts are up significantly and he's 24 years old and these things just keep getting better. So I think maybe that is something that I've always personally thought is kind of something he hasn't believed that he can make something that's otherworldly, he kind of has struggled to make the mind shift from the skinny, lanky kid to like, oh, I'm actually bigger than pretty much everybody else on the court except for Yannis whenever we're playing anyone. uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, you guys both just touched on it, but I think that his elite world bending attribute might just be the absence of any exploitable features of his, you know, uh, dimensions, I'll say it, and his game. Like, he he can't really be attacked. Uh, He can yeah, shoot. Yeah. He can drive. He can pass. He's finishing these crazy, like off balance floaters, which mm-hmm. uh, similar to Marcus Smart's no, no, yes threes. Like sometimes Tatum will get in there and chuck him up, and you're like, "There's no way that's even going to hit rim." <laughs> and then it like doesn't touch the fabric of the net. It just very cleanly splashes in. And so yeah, the fact that he can't be exploited. There's several other top tier players that you know in certain playoff situations like have to be pulled. Out of the game. And then, you know, I'm not associating these two guys with that comment, but guys like Luca, who you can attack, he's a, you know, somewhat of a, a liability defensively. Giannis, who I think at this point his three point shot has improved, but you can absolutely sag off of him defensively. Like they have oh, yeah. exploitable attributes to the game. I don't know what Tatum has in that realm. And then further to that, just his reads. I think he is an elite. Uh, like basketball IQ and reader of the game, and Joe Mazzulla, and everything we've talked about already about Joe in this podcast really sort of features that aspect of Tatum's mind perfectly. So I, I I think that there's maybe a little bit more nuance to the elite aspects of his game, but they're absolutely there.
2: He doesn't get enough credit for that either, Ben. I think yeah, we never hear people talk about Tatum's ba- other than Scal. He's like the only guy that talk about <laughs> Tatum's basketball IQ. Like you never hear Doris Burke on the national yeah. broadcast it's always like he's doing a better job passing. Like mm-hmm. that's what they talk about. But that dude reads defenses. He, I, I'm writing about this for Celtics blog, and it's about his fourth quarter decision-making. He has an over three assist to turnover ratio in fourth quarters this year. That's absolutely That's insane. absurd. Yeah. Jeez. That is absurd. crazy. Yeah, it's 3.14. Like that, and that's when defenses get tight. Everyone's playing harder in fourth quarters. And That's when he's becoming at his best. So, yeah, that's honestly, no one talks about that, Ben, but you're spot on. That dude knows basketball on both ends, too, because he's amazing as a help defender, which means you have to be elite at reading the other team's offense in order to be a good help defender.
0: I think a part of that is just the social media aspect of the game for fans. And like, you're never going to see NBA on TNT tweet like look at this sick read from jason taylor like, <laughs> yeah. let's slow down this epic read and appreciate
2: that <laughs> Anyway, his, uh... his game isn't super flat but like you know what i mean it's like he gets to the rim and lays it up or puts it a floater or hits an open jump shot. you know what i mean yeah. it's not like ja moran ja. yeah 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 yeah, it's crazy. Like he's he's a big guy. I could talk about his
0: dimensions all day, but he's not like a, he's not a super above the rim player. Although no. he can throw it down when he needs to. Uh, just look at that dunk on LeBron from his rookie uh, playoff season. Yeah. Guys, let's let's get to the meat of this podcast. We're 21 games in precisely. Here's a look at some of the stats so far through 21 games. 81 percent win percentage, equal to 17 and four. overall shooting, which is crazy. 40.3% from three, the best in the league. Obviously, the number one offensive rating, which is at 120.9. The Suns are in second place, way down at 115.9. Number one net rating, number one assist to turnover ratio. Fourth in turnover percentage, first in true shooting at 64%, and even sixth in defensive rebounding, which I think is, or um, well, defensive rebounding percentage, I should say, which is pretty good given the concerns we had early on in the season. So, guys, I ask you, what's real? What's fake? What that we like is likely to stick around, and what that we've had the pleasure of enjoying thus far is likely to fizzle out as the season matures. In no particular order, and I'll kick us off here. Literally the best offense of all time is what the Celtics have at this current moment. Uh, is that real
3: or is that fake? I don't know, man. It's really hard to figure out if if this is sustainable or not um, at like the best of all time levels, but it doesn't feel like they're doing anything super complicated. Nothing feels difficult. It's just like everybody's bought into screening. Cutting, passing, and the, the the Celtics have so many guys that can create advantages across the roster. It's just like Jalen, Jason, Derek, Malcolm. Everybody can beat their man one on one, and then everybody's a high level shooter. Like the the biggest questions is is Derek White's three point shot this improved? Is Hal Horford's shot this much better? But at the same time, Jalen and Jason's three point shot are like significantly below their career averages, and they shoot the highest volume of threes as well. So if that comes back up, I, I would be shocked if they don't end the season with the best offense in the league. So if you if you filter last season from January to April, they're the second best offense in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, people like, and it's hard to get the visions of my, the Miami and Golden State series out of your mind, where they 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 couldn't score and they. They kept turning the ball over, but now they've kind of fixed the turnover problems and the shooting's gotten significantly better across the board. Like you're playing guys like Hauser and, and Grant Williams continues to be a good shooter. Al Horf has just become a shooter now. Like he just takes most of his shots from there, the willingness to take the shots. And the Missoula ball philosophy of just take the shots that are available to limit the turnovers. Like it works. Um, and make all of them. <laughs> hey, yeah. That <laughs> helps. <laughs> just make all of them as well. um I think I saw like their sixth in wide open and fifth and wa- and open shots. So like the quality of these shots and they're all catch and shoot. Like yeah, they're not hitting contested shots.
2: Yeah, and often teams that generate a lot of wide open shots, it's because you have guys like Isaac Okoro, who other teams will just. Let shoot four wide open threes a game, right? The Celtics <laughs> do not employ any of those people, other than Luke Cornett, and even he's hit a three, I think. So you kind of gotta a guard, yeah. You gotta guard <laughs> him, kind of. You know, you can't ignore him like he's a like he's Mason Plumley or something. So, will they literally be the best offense of all time at the end of the year? I don't know but I bet you they're going to be pretty close because I definitely think this is sustainable. They're just so talented and they're playing the right way. And Joe keeps the pedal on the gas until the game is completely over. It's like, it's 30 going into the fourth. Okay, now Tatum can come out. Like, not 20, you know, there's like seven minutes left and it's a 19-point game. Tatum going to be in there, you know what I mean? So I think that'll help too.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's like, I guess, the one other takeaway from the Hornets game as well. It was just a relief to see the bench come in and not piss away that lead. I think it was, I mean. That would that, have been
3: impressive. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like they really set them up to to not fail. Um, what about the defense, Spoonie? Like at the moment, it's sort of league average almost exactly to a T. Do you see that as remaining the case throughout the season or do you think it's going to improve as, as time goes on?
2: I think the addition of Rob Williams alone will make that defense get a little bit better, but I don't think this is quite the defensive monster that we were last year, simply because I think they realize, one, they're not going to have to play effectively uh, 40 games of perfect defense in order to not be in the play-in like they did last year. There's just not the same motivation on that end, and that goes double- when you're hanging 140 points on teams regularly. So human nature, you're going to get a little lax when you're up 30 going into the you know, third quarter or something. So I think when the playoffs come, we will see that defense that we saw in the second half of last year. But I think for the season, I think it's real that we are not going to be a top five defense.
3: Yeah, I think statistically they might not get all the way back up to that top five spot because and a lot of the fourth quarter numbers on defense looked pretty good and then they they blow out these teams and then the bench comes in and gives up like a big quarter like they I think before the Wizards game they were top 10 in fourth quarter defense and now they've dropped out of the top 10 like I know that Marcus Smart is one of the best defenders in the league I know that Jason Tatum is one of the best defenders in the league Al Horford's quietly like his defensive stats have been um Really impressive in the times when they've gone to switch all switch one through five. He's been really impressive out on the island. Still, they haven't asked him to do it quite as much this year. Derek White's going to be on the all defensive team. Um, I think one of my favorite things in this world is the fact that he gets a contest no matter what. Like Crazy. I don't like he'll be flying past, like sneaking on a screen, and he'll be flying past, but he'll still get a hand up just like right near the ball. Like he's incredible. And then yeah, the Time Lord man, he's coming. He's coming back. That's the craziest thing. Like I know Time everyone. Time cures
2: all. Oh,
3: there you go.
0: There you go. I should probably just leave it there. Uh, the vibes, man, is the next thing on our list here. <laughs> oh, are the yeah. vibes real or are the vibes fake? And if you're wondering what we're talking about, I'm going to run this clip just from the past game. These are all post game. Good vibes coming out of the the Hornets game.
1: I think we enjoy each other's company off the court. I think that's a big piece of uh, sort of what the results come to, you know, on the court. We're a team that laughs and talks in the locker room. Everybody can laugh at themselves. We laugh at each other. We we have a good time on the bus, on the road. You know, you see the results during the games and our trust and being able to enjoy playing with each other. With outside perspective that's probably needed here, what's that like in the locker room to be, you know, you and along with Blake, being the guys who from the outside, bring in. Hey, you know, a lot of you guys have been only here. We've seen things that you haven't seen. For sure, it's a. It's honestly a, a very common conversation I have with guys, just about appreciating where they are. Marcus, Jason, Jalen, Grant. These guys haven't seen other teams, so they don't know how other organizations, other teams, how everything works in other places. So there's a lot of good here, from the top down, the leadership down to to the PTs to the players there's a lot of good here and I remind the guys of that when you're when you're on one team one organization for so long there's always a wonder of what it's like somewhere else How it doesn't matter how well you're doing there's always a wonder of, of what it would be like somewhere else so I, I try g- to get guys not to wonder at all and, and just enjoy what they have because this is special what about your game that resembles uh, from Auschwitz? Uh explosive athleticism <laughs> next question yeah <laughs> <laughs> you make the right play at all times uh, similar Brought back time clock right there. Daylight saving, we went back hours. I see you, big dog.
0: So a great a great compilation of good vibes there,
3: and I hadn't to, seen that last one.
1: To oh, me, it's,
0: it's like a it's almost like a chicken or the egg situation. In that, like, are the vibes high because the team is winning so much, or is the team winning so much because the vibes are so high? Man, uh, Jake, what do you think?
3: <laughs> oh man, vibe vibes are a self fulfilling prophecy, man. Like, you bring good vibes, good things happen. Good things happen, they bring good vibes. Um, man, two takeaways from Malcolm's thing. One, I want to be on that bus so badly and just, that would be, if I could make one wish in this world, it might be one for Rob's knees and tutors to be on the bus with the Celtics this season (laughs) because, um, that would be so much fun. But, um, Brad nailed it again. Like this dude is not just the perfect fit on the court, but like this guy's in Tatum's ear being like, Yo. This is like the best place in the league. <laughs> you and Jalen should stay here forever.
0: Yeah. Yes. This is awesome.
3: Like, yeah, more, please, Malcolm.
0: Yeah. I love you. The grass is, is not greener on the other side. It's in <laughs> yeah. fact only Celtic green within the confines right of Tidy Garden. Uh, Any I mean, we've got, we've got guys like Adam Taylor out here like breaking down like chin actions and like important X's and O's. Here <laughs> yeah. we are talking about the vibes. I would say equally as important. <laughs> Spoonie. No, what do you, what's
2: your take on the vibes? First of all, we need to get a first to the floor gift basket on its way to Malcolm Brogdon as soon as possible. That was commented. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's like you can't separate the two um, from the winning and the vibes. The it's rare that a team hates each other and wins. Look at look at Brooklyn, man. That Brooklyn roster is good, and they're not playing like it. And this Celtics team is playing. They've got a ton of talent. And they're still playing above the talent, and that just builds on itself and builds on itself. And how far we've come from Marcus Smart calling out the Jays for not passing enough this time last year, man. That feels like an eternity ago, back when Blake Griffin could win Mill Dunk, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> I'm buying the vibes. I think they're going to keep winning. I think they're going to keep rolling. They clearly all like each other, so... Um, that's just going to feed into more winning and more rolling and more me laughing maniacally as they hit their fourth three of the you know, last yes. two Hell minutes yeah. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Maniacal laughing all around. Look, we're,
0: we're 36 minutes in. We've still got a lot to get to. So we're yeah. going to just sort of choose carefully from our list here as we move on. The Eclipse, well, already I feel like this is a bad choice. Is the Eclipse a real Tangible effective thing that like in a playoff game Mark Jackson's gonna do this like sort of cut to break oh, soliloquy about like the you know look hand down man down eclipse I don't know I, I
2: can't do a Mark Jackson impression if if I may <laughs> real
0: quick yeah. real quick Jake
3: oh, God here we go We've got a
2: reddit post here. Oh, yes. user,
3: yeah <laughs> user solo. Oh, let's go cool. yeah
2: user solo ho Posted uh, apparently he got it from a heat heat check YouTube video. I guess it's a youtuber the Cornet contest, a.k.a. the Eclipse, teams are shooting their 3 of 12 oh, against God. the Eclipse. 25%. So, Jake, sorry, please. What, what, what
3: else could you say?
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't, look, I don't, you know me and maths. I don't know buying those numbers. <laughs> but, so, okay, I'm, I'm, there's been pushback. I'm glad to see, like, now we're creating, and there's a, there's a big discourse. This might be, like, the biggest source of contention on Celtics Twitter right now is the, the Cornet Eclipse because teams are adjusting a little bit to it. They're pump faking, he's jumping, and they're starting to drive. Now, Ken, the, what's his name? The red hen? The big hen? We're going to get to that clip as well. Um, the what Blake Griffin called him as well. Cornish the Cornish game, game hen. hen. The Cornish game <laughs> hen. My bad. The red um, hen, I like that. <laughs> the red hen. The Cornish game hen. played a little game of um, hen and fox. It's like mouse and cat, <laughs> but different animals. Okay, now they're going to pump fake instead of jumping. You- Cornette does the Eclipse pump fake, and now you've thrown him off. Whoa. So, we've got, to, we've got to have an adjustment to the adjustment. So, i got to get in the lab, get in the film room. Cornette's going to- we got to get a fake- a pump fake on the Eclipse. Um, yeah, so, it's like the meteorology uh, kind of gets the Eclipse wrong. Everybody's outside at a 9pm psych. It's actually tomorrow-
0: I, uh, I love the idea of Luke Cornet and like three Celtic staffers all on like six-figure <laughs> yeah. salaries sitting down, like breaking down the nuances of the eclipse. Guys, like there's a few, there's quite a lot of, like, let's be honest, uh, items left on this list of real or fake. At the risk of being here all night, I'll throw to you guys to choose one or two that sure. you guys
2: want to highlight. Yeah. I've got one I want to toss to you guys. I want to hear your thoughts. Marcus Smart is eighth in the NBA in assists per game. Are you buying real or fake Marcus Smart top 10 assist man in the league? I'm buying it just out of the nature of this offense and the fact that
0: he's like literally at the helm of it. And he has just a bevy of options to pass to, whether it's, you know, we talked about everyone other than Rob Williams being a three point shooting threat, like they're all at his disposal at all times. All they've got to do is hit the shot and we know they're open shots. So, unless all of these one uh, pass to shot things translate into or, you know, become hockey assists, uh, which is, I suppose, likely to happen again due to the nature of this offense, I-, I see Marcus Smart easily notching, you know, eight plus assists per game as long as they continue to play this way. What do you think, Jake?
3: Yeah, lock that in. He's just going to be kicking to some of the most elite shooters all season long in one of the best offenses. Yeah. And especially now that he just keeps buying this role more and more, like he's going to start getting- um, more and more accolades and more and more affirmation from the team, from the media, um, from whatever we are. Again, uh, yeah. So I think I, I would ex- I would expect it to to maintain. I'll, I'll grab one. Um, to ta- and I mentioned it before because I think this is like kind of the key to maybe the Celtics winning the title potentially is the Tatum rim finishing and free throw attempts. Like if the three point shot isn't fi- falling. Um, if he's able to maintain a, like a high 20s low 30s points per game on high efficiency by getting himself to the rim and finishing at a higher clip and getting and drawing fouls at a high level um cuz right now he's shooting uh 76.1 last year was 68% um, he's shooting better than Giannis at the rim this year uh 8.5 free throw attempts eighth in the league compared to 6.2 last year um i buy the free throws um I'm not sure the, the finishing stays that high. Like it's come down a little bit from where he was at, like 80 plus percent. Um That's absurd. But he's 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 clearly worked on it. Like he's getting lower on his drives to the rim. Um, I would say the wrist looks healthier, but it doesn't really because it's wrapped in cyborg tape um, on the left wrist. He mostly just finishes with his right hand anyway. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's just playing through contact better and, and his body positioning and control has improved.
0: Substantially less. Threes per game scoring substantially more points per game it tells you everything you need to know about how good he is around the rim and that three point shooting is going to come like the the slow starts for Tatum you know thus far in his career have all been you know centered around really he's he's shooting from deep and he's just added elite rim finishing to his game uh, which has negated the slow start. And yet, we're still seeing that with his three point shootings. That is going to come along. Historically, that's been the case. And then, like, what have we got there? You know, like we talk about this, they're doing all of this without Rob Williams. Like, we're also doing this without Tatum shooting even his career average from three. So that's going to come back at some point. Uh, and that, for an opposing fan base, must be absolutely terrifying.
2: I think, I don't know if the, he's going to stay at 76%, but I think one, the lack of take foul means he gets a lot more like easy runouts and easy layups. So that's going to obviously improve those restricted area numbers. Um, And two, I feel like he's getting more separation and he's doing a lot better job of like using his body and the rim to avoid shot blockers and avoid contests. And there's a lot less of the just kind of flip it at the rim and hope I get fouled. It's and Jake, you were hitting on that, that you both were that He's finishing to finish, not to get fouled. And mm-hmm. coincidentally, that's also how you get fouled um, when you uh, <laughs> finish through contact. So uh, I'm buying that it's an improvement. I don't know if he'll be quite at this nutty 76% number. Definitely buying the the increased free throws as well. He's just so big and strong now that <laughs> teams almost have to foul him. And he's so good at, at just getting to his spots and getting you out of position i mean man he's good (laughs) it's crazy how good he is now
0: (laughs) absolutely a a few remaining items that we had on this list i'm going to read them out and then let us know in the comments whether it's youtube live now or later on on the celtics blog post for this podcast which is a great place to reach us after the fact Derek white lethal shooter uh was one best duo in the league. Al Horford's production, he's currently shooting 48.7% from three. Um, <laughs> Sam Hauser not being a defensive liability are a few. And let us know what else you think might be real or, or what's something that's happening now that you don't think is going to continue happening throughout the rest of the season. Um, what are the negatives, guys? Because I, I I made a list in my head of exactly one <laughs> item because there's just so few criticisms, I think, of this team. And that is that Tatum is fourth in minutes played. I don't have the stats for Al Horford, but. You know, if you could draw some sort of correlation between minutes played and age and injury likeliness, I think that you could probably add Al Horford in there somewhere as well. Minutes played is sort of a universal panic, I think, for Celtics fans. Jake, anything you'd add to the negatives there?
3: Um, Yeah, the minutes, that's probably the last piece of that. But I think when you bank these wins early, like, you want to get the rest at the end of the season which I think is what screwed them over last year was that they just had to go so bold to the wall to yeah. end the year. Um, you can you go hard and then you can kind of ramp it da- like down a little bit out when you have this this cushion um, from a minute's perspective. Grant, I think, um, I mean, obviously this list is like, you are nitpicking, like this is, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, seriously nitpicking. Grant in the ref situation um, and Grant in general, and, you know, we're massive Grant Williams fans. Gilbert Williams fans on this podcast. I think he's got to settle down a little bit and kind of like get back to playing a little. Like Grant, What made Grant so good was that he was the definition of solid. He was doing his job, driving closeouts, and he's still been good. But like, you know, that game in Sacramento complaining to the ref for a foul that he didn't get, walking, jogging backwards, and then tripping over Metu, who she should have been called for a foul for, but he wasn't. Gets the block, flips off the ref kind of, and gets a technical. Just like Grant. You're not anywhere near good enough to be like doing this kind of stuff. And even in the first quarter yesterday, it wasn't ref related, but just making a few questionable decisions, a little sloppy with the ball. I would just like to see kind of Grant lock back in and play his role to the capability that I know he is.
2: But my only concern from a vibes perspective again, and this is a big time nitpick is Pritchard. I'm Mm. afraid Peyton Pritchard is going to get frustrated with his role And that can kind of permeate through a team. I don't think it will happen. Again, massive nitpick. But I think if we're looking at negatives, like, Pritchard could get kind of upset about the fact that, yet again, we traded for another guy who plays his position. Who's better than, I mean, I'm sure Pritchard thinks he's, you know, the best guard on the team. But, I mean, let's be honest, Brogdon's a much better player. so. Um, that, that's one thing I would keep an eye on because before he had that kind of run of really good games, there were some videos of them like celebrating Missoula's first win and yes. Richard seemed really disengaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's come around a little bit. I think Blake's been good for him, but, um. I don't know. That's the one thing if I'm, you know, digging deep for negatives for a team that's yep. seventeen and four, blowing the doors off everybody.
3: I think that's a good call. And the thir- the game when Brogdon went out with the hamstring in the middle of the game and Pritchard came in was his worst game of the year. Yeah. Um and that speaks to, in my opinion, how he wasn't staying ready. Yeah. And maybe he just was just like, I'm not gonna play today. Since then he's been um he's been locked in every time he's come in. And and and, and he's been getting more minutes. Even even when Malcolm and the other guys have been healthy, like in the in the Bulls game, we were kind of calling for him to come in and change the change the vibes. And in the Kings game, him and Cornette came in. Like when you just need a little bit of an energy boost, I think he's kind of figured out what role he needs to play. And it's like, okay, I'm going to crash the defensive glass, the offensive glass. I'm going for turnovers. I'm, I'm pushing the pace. I'm launching from deep. Um, I'm going as hard as possible in every facet of the game as I can. And And that could happen at any moment.
0: There is one other negative that I want to highlight here, and no one's talking about it, uh, but there really should be. There needs to be more of this in every Celtics game.
2: Come on, Blake. I, I, was I was expecting. All right.
0: I told you. I told you guys before we went on air. I was going to run the clip multiple times. It's just the best. It's so much fun. It's so good. Kevin uh, Kelly. Oh man! Yeah. Out. As
3: soon as it happened, I was like, "Oh, Ben, Yeah, Yeah,
0: on. yeah. I like not to take you too far behind the curtain. Wept a little bit. Like I was so (laughs) emotionally taken over by the moment that like there there were tears in my eyes. It was so much fun. All right, we're gonna we're gonna really rush through the remainder of this podcast here, starting with NBA award eligibility, who, if anyone, is in line for an end of season award. Tatum MVP, I think, is very clear, so we can probably skip that one. Joe Mazzulla, coach of the year, like explain to me how he's not a front runner, given the circumstances surrounding how he came to be in that position.
3: I think if the season ended today, he would win it. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the media loves their narratives and all we heard for the first week leading into the season after the Emei stuff was every national podcast talking about how much is going to impact the Celtics and how Emei was the, the toughest guy on the team and yada, yada, yada. Um, they've been better than last year. And he's made noticeable changes to, to how they're running the team. Um, maybe the biggest one playing Sam Hauser when Emei refused to last year. Um Mizzou Ball is real, and he would win coach of the year if the season ended today.
2: There's two guys, I think, that are also in the running. Budenholzer, who I think can say, well, I haven't had Chris Middleton, I haven't had Drew Holiday at times, and I've still got this team, I think is the second or third best record in the NBA. And a man who has already stolen a coach of the year from Udoka, Monty Williams, yeah, because they've got no Crowder, Camp Johnson's hurt. They're playing um, Tony Bradley, huge minutes. They had that chaos with DeAndre Ayton to start the year. And they haven't had Chris Paul forever either. And that team is, I think, the second or third bet. I can't remember if they have a better record of the Bucks do. I should have checked. But those are the two guys, I think, we're, we're so good. and And Joe said this in our Slack earlier. We're so good, it's going to get boring to the media, right? Yeah. And so they're going to be looking for a narrative. They're going to be looking for like Chauncey Billups and the Blazers winning 50 games when they're expected to be a lottery team, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I could see Joe going the Brad Stevens route and getting screwed out of a coach of the year award that he should win just due to the narrative, something goofy like that popping up in the second half of the year. But yeah, I think he should absolutely be the front runner.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man of the year. Derek White, most improved player. Brad Stevens, executive of the year. Jake, which of those three, as a means of getting through all this as quickly as possible, yeah. uh, is, is most likely to occur?
3: Um, I have a, very, a financial interest in Malcolm Brogdon winning. I know maybe, you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I he just needs to play enough games, and he's going to be right there to win it. Um, and what he's missed four out of twenty-one right now. If he can, you know, miss. 16. See that four times four. Um, brilliant. Yeah, if he, if he misses 16 brilliant. games, yeah, he's. I think he's gonna. <laughs> that's gonna be plenty for him to win the award. Um, and if he just like plays as well as he has been on the best team, I'm just gonna start to worry about like how many how many votes are gonna be lost to Joe Coach of the Year and Malcolm Six Man and Tatum MVP. Like they can't all win all the awards. Um, and then Executive of the Year, Brad should definitely win it. But like that's a weird award because it's kind of a combination of several years. Uh so who knows of that one?
2: I think the I, I could see Brad getting the executive of the year. Um but yeah, Malcolm's probably the most likely. I just threw White most improved on there just because of his shooting is so absolutely ridiculous. But if you look at his like career numbers, he's actually lower than them all. So that's probably kind of a dumb suggestion by me. But <laughs> certainly the Celtics uh, most improved player, I, yeah, would, I would argue. Yeah. Yeah, he's been he's been incredible, man. But yeah, I'd say Malcolm, six man of the year, right behind it, Brad executive of the year. And then a distant, distant last is White, MIP. <laughs> I had a look before <laughs> we did the pod,
0: and uh, Malcolm Brogdon is currently leading all bench players in points and assists, I believe. And he's like That's top seven in rebounds as well, which is crazy. But Brad Stevens, executive of the year, segues nicely into our next point, which is Ranking the Al Horford trade, which Jake, like, I'll, I'll allow you to take over okay. here because you, you sort of put this forward for us, but just to sort of summarize the situation. So obviously prior to the 2021-22 season, the Celtics trade, Kemba Walker and the $73 million remaining on his deal and a 2021 first round pick, which I believe ended up being Alperen Sengun to the Thunder in exchange for Al Horford, Moses Brown. Remember how excited we were for Moses Brown and a 2023 <laughs> second round pick. Is that the number one all-time trade in the modern era? And I'll, I'll set the bar at the modern era as, like, post-Nets trade. It's- It's close, it's right? It's close. It's close. It's
3: definitely close. Um, yeah, the other one for them from a Celtics perspective is Tatum for Fultz um, on draft day. But <laughs> that's
0: pretty huge, yep. <laughs> that's pretty huge.
3: But that, that, that's, a, depending on who you kind of, like, listen to, like, how much of that was, like, we were going to take Tatum at one anyway, if they, if they said they were going to take him. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- as far as like most impactful in like the past five years across the NBA goes, like it's right up there. Um, I think you have to give the teams that made big trades and have won a title the edge. So like the Anthony Davis trade, I think's right up there. Um, it's just that the Lakers decided to get rid of the championship roster after they won the title for some reason. Mm-hmm. They decided to get rid of KCP, Kuzma, and Caruso, who are all playing awesome on their respective teams. But the AD trade, fantastic. Um, Kawhi getting traded to the Raptors for DeRozan. Um, the fact that they won a title and now are kind of like still kind of fringy contenders and probably will be solid for the next five, ten years. Um, very impressive. Um the Drew Holiday and Andrew Wiggins trades are kind of the same in that they're like kind of the third best player on the team, but they have won titles. The Bucks have won a title, the Warriors have won a title. Now I think you get right, it's like Horford's kind of right there. Like You think about where the Celtics were in the season where they were the seven seed um, and lost to the Nets in the first round with Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice as their, as their double big lineup. Um all respect to Daniel Tice, he was a starting center on a conference finals team, which is still absolutely mind blowing. Who's not getting any minutes for the Pacers, by the way? Which it's a crime, pisses me off. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then it's the like, yeah, yeah, well, look, <laughs> who knows? Um, Chris Paul to the Suns and Al Horford to the Seas, I think, is an interesting argument. Obviously, Suns fans would say, you they've he took us to a new level, winning 60 plus games, they haven't won a title yet and he hasn't proved that he can actually make it through a playoff run healthy, whereas Al Horford is still a bit younger um, and had the best playoff run of his career last season and is kind of still playing at an elite level. Um, The PG for SGA trade, uh, the Clippers are going to lose that trade. Like, SGA is going to be better than Paul George. Like, he might already be better than Paul George at his peak if he finishes the season like this. Like, it's absolutely absurd what... SGA is doing. Um, the Harden, Simmons, like Rockets Harden, Rockets, Harden to the Nets, to the Sixers. I think everybody from those teams would just like like to brainwash, like remove that part of their life from their brain. Um, <laughs> Colley to the Jazz, McCollum to the Pels. Like um, the Jonathan Mitchell trade has potential to kind of get into this conversation. Um, but man, Horford's pretty much right at the top of the list of the NBA of teams that haven't won a title yet. Yeah,
0: past 5 years is an important qualifier to add because I yeah. had Marcus Thornton and a first round pick for Isaiah <laughs> Thomas in 2016 in there. Uh so I guess uh, you know sticking to that past 5 years uh timeline, Spoonie, what are your thoughts?
2: I think one of the great things about the Horford trade as well is that um we saved 18 million dollars, right? 9 million a season to get off that kemba contract and that it, that savings now that we're so deep in the luxury tax is like 50 million dollars or some absurd number right so that allowed us to get Derek white that allowed us to take on money for malcolm brogdon so not only did it get us a massive improvement on the court it also gave brad a lot of wiggle room to bring in additional talent around the seas so it's got like sweeping implications for how this roster is built uh but i would take from a gm process standpoint i think trading back taking tatum and getting what should have been a top 10 probably top five pick we got really unlucky that year the kings were good that is like a gm masterclass, in mm-hmm. my opinion like that is such a genius trade that worked out so so very well except for the fact that we took langford uh but otherwise <laughs> what oh, a man.
3: trade <laughs> <laughs> yeah process of results yeah exactly incredible
2: process on that one
0: but then package langford i believe correct me if i'm wrong my memory yeah, is dude, a little right fuzzy baby. and josh
2: richardson for Derek White, who's right, now yeah. like
0: playing like some sort of hybrid of tracy mcgrady and ray allen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> slight over better. exaggeration yeah but better a bit of
3: defense <laughs> <Yeah.
0: It's, laughs> It's now time for one of our favorite segments called the Froder Report. I am working on a, a video title slash yes. theme song for this. I'm very excited to reveal that to everyone involved. Um, a quick check-in with our buddies, the Los Angeles oh. Lakers, and their game yesterday against the Indiana Pacers. They had, at one point, with 9 minutes and 35 seconds to go, a 98.7 win probability, according to ESPN's win probability graph. Uh, Russell Westbrook was dancing and taunting as the Lakers went up 17. I've got a clip to demonstrate exactly what I'm talking <laughs> about.
1: in charge right now. Look at Russ. He's having too That's much turn. fun, isn't he? Oh, pass it! Wagon! Russ, do your thing! Come on, do it! And play to the crowd, Russ. Play to the crowd. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then... This happened.
1: Short tip taken. Halliburton. Halliburton. This is to win the game. Indiana wins it. <laughs> Rolling on the is
0: You love to see it. Uh, rookie Andrew <laughs> oh, Nembhard hits the game winner over the outstretched arms of some guy named LeBron James. Uh, the Lakers <laughs> fall to seven and twelve. 13th in the West and we, we do have them coming up at our upcoming schedule which we're going to get to very soon I know that like there's been at least in Lakers circles a little bit more celebration of the team turning it around a little bit and maybe improving just their the way they play basketball for lack of a better description spoonie thoughts on the Lakers <laughs> you seem to like take a little bit more guilt in this in this uh segment whereas Jake and I really lean into
2: the shot in front of reports <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts Not when it comes to LeBron James. I could watch (laughs) sad LeBron James walking off that court (laughs) for eight hours a day for the next month, man. That is just so good. Um... Nemhard tore up WVU like three years ago when he was at Gonzaga. So I've always been like, hey, that guy's pretty good. Andy Smith went four for seven from three. Yeah, I didn't oh yeah, even yeah, know that. Good. Yeah, he was important. good last night. Important this facts. is like the best 48 hours of sports <laughs> in my life, man. This is incredible. Look at that. Uh, it was It's just fun, man. They're so, so bad. And it's just the best. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I was really excited because the the Lakers fans kind of talked themselves into the team playing better, but they got to play the Spurs three times in a week. Um, three, <laughs> I think it was literally three times in eight days yeah. they got to play the Spurs. Uh, yeah, you're going to look pretty good against the worst team in the league. So Absolutely. good times, man.
0: Well, let's talk about our upcoming schedule. We're about to play the Heat twice at home in TD Garden, which is an interesting scheduling quirk. And then we go on the road Mm. for a challenging trip and maybe the most condensed challenging trip of the Celtics season thus far. So the Heat twice at home, then on the road against the Nets, the Raptors, who have been playing very well and and Siakam Mm -hmm. is now back, the Suns, who have that second-ranked offense in the league, the Warriors, finals foe. Clippers mm. and the Los Angeles Lakers. Jake I guess starting with the Heat games but looking forward to this, this, upcoming, this upcoming stretch like how do you to ask broadly how do you see that going for the Celtics?
3: Mm. Yeah so it was really great that they took care of business in the Wizards and the Hornets game. They got both Jay a day off the Heat are going to have two days of rest coming in. It's already but it's already been announced that Jimmy Butler's looking unlikely for tomorrow um, so that should be, should be a win. Um, and the Heat haven't looked great um, thus far as well, even even with Butler, they haven't been elite. Um, I kind of actually would just expect them to win those two, um, but the Nets and the Raptors have both been playing a lot better going out on the road. Um, this stretch right here, yeah, it looks like the most difficult stretch on the calendar. So the fact that we're able to kind of have it right now, um, I know Rob's not healthy yet, but um, you couldn't really be asking to be, Playing at a better level, um, well, you get a good, you know, a difficult stretch on your, on your, um, schedule. So, how many games is this? Like, like nine or ten? Like, if you can just go kind of, even if you go at worst six and four to, like, to get out of that stretch, um, with a, a nice cushion on the rest of the league record wise, that just puts you in such a good place for the rest of the season.
2: Yeah. I, the Heat, I feel like are always going to play us tough. For whatever reason, they get up for us. Um, so, I, I think we'll probably beat them both. But I wouldn't be surprised if we we drop it to the Nets. Um, we, we do well against the Clippers. Not real worried about the Clippers. Uh, Warriors, you know.
3: Sons and yeah, Warriors, man. Yeah, that's that's going to be a
2: tough yeah. Western trip, man. That's like the three three West teams that are playing really, really well. Or the Dude, two. That
3: Warriors game in... Golden State Finals rematch, like man, Ben. Maybe that's when we catch up for a beer, because like that's gonna, I'm not gonna need some emotional support for that one.
0: Afternoon game, yeah, it's beer o'clock. Absolutely, two p.m. I believe is the start time. Yeah, Uh, tough, tough stretch. Absolutely, I, I, I think Jimmy Butler's supposed to be out at least for the first game against the Heat. I know Jalen Brown is questionable with neck stiffness. Uh, Welcome to my world, Jalen Brown. Um, (laughs) Ben Simmons, I believe knee soreness he's out today or is currently reported as out for the Nets. Um Raptors, I think, is is problematic. There, they've always played us very well. Nick Nurse has mm-hmm. kind of always been sort of the antidote to the Celtics success. Uh, they're healthy and looking good. And then yeah, Suns, Warriors is, yeah, that's it's gonna be it's gonna that's- be a tough road trip. But like at the same time it's hard to imagine this team losing to anybody. So if, you, like, if yeah. you look at the stretch, right, as a, as a holistic trip, you're like, okay, they'll probably drop one or two games. But if you look at each game in a vacuum, it's like they could easily beat each we team. Beat these, yeah, like, we can um,
2: beat these guys. Yeah,
0: Imagine the podcast after they go undefeated on that trip, right? Like, oh my can we please get there it's and have that football. podcast? Yeah. 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 If you think please. this is like a statistical <laughs> victory lap, which it absolutely yeah. has been, imagine what that podcast is going to look like. So I hope we get there. Guys, any finishing touches, any finishing points on any of the awesome points that we've touched on in this very long podcast?
3: I'm just, I'm just salivating at the idea of Rob popping up on the injury point as like questionable, doubtful, yeah, a <laughs> questionable at some point, and I'm just gonna be like, oh, oh, baby, because that Lakers game. That's what I said. That's gonna be gonna actually gonna be on the road trip. He probably doesn't make it for that road trip, considering they're gonna be out there, but um. Fly, That's what I'm kind of just... Fly him in on the PJ. You know, this
0: sounds like hey. surely they've got a couple of jets on the runway there that could fly him in and, uh, I don't know. Spoonie, any any finishing touches on this one?
2: Yeah, yeah I think Z Gamer just said what I was about to say. Just don't lose to the Lakers, please. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> Just don't lose to the Lakers.
0: Uh, absolutely, I agree wholeheartedly. All right, that is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. Our buddies over at Green with Envy are going to be back with another pod uh, on this feed on Thursday morning. We'll be back on Friday to close out the week. In the meantime, leave us a review, rating, subscribe on YouTube, all that good stuff. Spoonie, Jake, love your work, guys. Thanks again. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, mate. Okay, see you next time. Go Celtics.